Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4,227 of The Bugle. It's Monday the 25th of April in 2022 of all years, and I'm Andy Zaltzman, keeping it as far from real as humanly possible here in the shed of immutable truth in London's glamorous London area, albeit not in the most glamorous part of that glamorous London area. Um, because, you know, when you're as naturally innately glamorous as I am, and it doesn't get any more glamorous than this shed, um, with a box full of vintage sign cricket bats and a large wooden duck um, glamouring up at the back. It doesn't matter where you live. It's a metaphorical <laughs> red carpet photo shoot wherever I go. I just wish occasionally I'd let myself live my own life. Uh, joining me today, <laughs> from no fewer than one hemisphere of this planet, our Bugle co-host for this week, are Tiff Stevenson and Neil Delamere. Hello, both of you. Hello. Uh... How are you both in... Uh, well, let, let's do this uh, sequentially, uh, <laughs> since you both answered at exactly the same time to the first question put to both of you, which I realise isn't ideal for a podcast. Uh, Neil, how are you? I am very well, except except my dog has just broken wind behind me, and it can only be... Dis- like, if the, <laughs> if the wallpaper starts to peel off the walls, I wouldn't be 100% surprised, right. because she has done something quite masterful. Sometimes she right. does this... Looks beautiful, and then just lets one go, and all you know uh, is your eyelashes fall out, and all the spiders in the room start running away from her, and that's <laughs> how you know something has happened. Well, I mean, that's what the bugle brings you. It brings you dogs performing physical satire on the state of the world. That's what it is. That's. I mean, she waited until we started as well, so she her yeah. timing is impeccable. <laughs> um, Tiff, um, are you surrounded by flatulent animals at the moment, or not? Um, I, complaining cats, yes. Right. But I went away for a couple of days, and... When we go away and come back, he has a whole new language. <laughs> it's, it's, he has new sounds. I'm not joking. It's like he's got furious that we had the temerity to disappear for like 48 hours. Um, and so he has whole new, whole new sounds of like, well, I was shouting and it appeared you weren't responding. So I've, he's got new ones. He's got um, hello and hello. <laughs> uh, honestly, I'm not joking. I will, sh- I will share the videos on my Twitter my cat talks. He talks. Right. Um, I think he's working his way up to saying "tuna, you bitch." Right. Um, and eventually, that's that. It'll peak at "tuna, you bitch." Right. Um, <laughs> so oh, yeah, it's good. It's good. That, how old is your cat? He is uh, coming up on twelve, I think. Right. But still, with the desire to learn new languages. To that's, learn, exactly. That's yeah, I've, I'm thinking of downloading uh, Duolingo for. Right. Maybe Muelingo, mu- mu- perhaps. Mu- <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, beautiful, beautiful. Um, I should have, I should have seen a pun coming there. And they, actually, an alarm went off on my phone at the mere idea of there being that, the possibility of that pun. Right, the pun alarm. Yeah, you, couldn't <laughs> get that. you couldn't set a pun alarm for Andy. In fairness, your phone would melt into a million pieces. You, I don't have, have the battery life. <laughs> you have, you have burner phones like it was the wire. <laughs> uh, well, we are recording on the 25th of April, 2022. On this day in 1792, just 230 short years ago, the celebrity French execution device, the guillotine, was used for the first time to dispense decapitative justice uh, to the highwayman Nicolas Pelletier. Uh, after a big build-up, the uh, big chopper, as it should so obviously have been called, went down uh, actually surprisingly badly with the crowd at the time. Uh, they didn't feel they had got the level of entertainment they were used to 
from more long, drawn-out forms of execution. It was all over far too quickly for the traditional fans, bish, bash, bosh, and the purists who are used to the longer five-day executions with all its narrative intricacies, <laughs> subtle developments, and breaks for meals. They, they didn't really go for it, even if... Um, yeah, they just prefer the longer ones, even if they did sometimes end with the victims still alive or were just rained off. But, you know, as long as it made it easier for the kids to get excited by executions, I guess the authorities could justify it and claim that their inflated bonus for just inventing a new format was justified. Uh, as always, a section of the bugle. Um, <laughs> a little bit of cricket Sorry, satire just, to get started. Is there, is there anything in the world that you cannot connect to cricket? Anything? Like, have I named any subject? No. No. <laughs> uh, as always, a section of the bugle is going straight in the bin this week. Uh, the International Awards Awards um, have been uh, happening this week. The uh, most glamorous award ceremony for other award ceremonies. Um, and uh, we review the latest action. Uh, from uh, the ceremony, the awards for the best in uh, the awards business. Uh, the unsung award for uh, less well-known awards. The nominations for that include the Flamsbury Award for Most Inedible Breakfast Spread. Um, the uh, winner of that, incidentally, was the Blobra Manor Lingonbury Rat Guano and Wormlung Preserve. Uh, the Mike from Accounts Memorial Award for Least Remarkable Professional Career. Uh, least Valuable <laughs> Contribution to an Interim Report. And the Salvador Dali Award for Meltiest Timekeeping Device. Hotly contested between the limited edition Rolex Chockwatch and the Tissot Marshmallow Clock. <laughs> uh, also, the most hotly contested award award is uh, the nominations for that, as always, uh, and appropriately enough, very hotly contested. Least insightful sports pundit, most shameless refusal to answer a question in an interview. The Tucker Carlson Award for most imbecilic comment by Tucker Carlson. That I mean, that is, uh, as always one of the toughest awards to win in any given year. <laughs> the uh, most obviously wrong conspiracy theory and the biggest undiscovered global scandal brought about by a secretive international plot. Those two also go hand in hand. Now uh, that section, in the bin. Andy, do you know there is actually an awards awards? I didn't know that, no. <laughs> and uh, I was minded to, right. to look it up uh, whilst you were doing that bit. Right. And I've got to say, it is the most boring as thing i've ever seen in all my life <laughs> i there are, i've hosted something before for um i think like the wedding planning and awards so like awards for the planners of the weddings <laughs> and i'm sure i've hosted a media awards awards can you imagine the person who has to do the seating plan for the wedding planner awards <laughs> <laughs> the level of pressure on that is off the charts <laughs> uh, oh, I found that at my, at my, my own uh, wedding where we, we each table had a name and obviously as discussed I'm quite into cricket and uh, uh, my wife is uh, a keen foodie so we had um, cricket food puns as the table names uh, including Amazing. Michael Prawn was one of them um, <laughs> surely Im Gary Nuts Obers would be good <laughs> Imran Flan was another one um, <laughs> what about uh, Jeffrey Boycott this table <laughs> I don't like anyone else on it I'm sure ev actually everyone at your wedding was is probably I imagine pretty cool Andy Ian uh, Bultham oh. <laughs> but, oh, very good oh. yeah. uh, sorry are, are Tiff and I better Alistair this than you <laughs> <laughs> Alistair Cook Meats. Oh, could have done. That was before his career had taken off. <laughs> Top story this week the French election and Europe woke this morning, as we record on Monday, to the rare post election sound of the word 
Phew, floating across the skies <laughs> of the continent. Incumbent President Emmanuel uh, Macron retained power after a bitter, hostile campaign that deepened divisions in an increasingly fractious country. Is there any other kind of campaign these days? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Manny Mac clocked in uh, with 58.6% uh, of the vote in a runoff against uh, Marine Le Pen, or as she is known in Britain, Aquatic the Stilo. Um, ah! and, <laughs> and, <Yes. laughs> oh, that was sounded kind of genuinely pained, Tiff. Um, uh, no, but you know what? I'd written it down... Oh, as she's known in France, Marine Lestilo. So I'd not got the aquatic part. Oh, <laughs> so that was the pain sound was I've gone for the same pun as Andy. <laughs> oh, you need I to. went with sea biro. I, 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 I raised above it all. <laughs> she's got two sisters as well. You assume there's Marine Le Pen, Land Le Pen and Air Le Pen. Surely. <laughs> Um, it, it was, uh, well, certainly a, a relief. There was um, suggestions that it was going to be a lot closer than that, but uh, Le Pen, the far-right progress sceptic and discontentophile, was defeated more convincingly than had been feared by those for whom any election that does not result in you screaming humanity, you f***ing prick, will you never learn at your TV, uh, is to be welcomed. Um, it's uh, well, a relief, isn't it? That uh, I mean, you would have thought, you know, of all the nations in the world that ought to be, you know, really quite quite um, livelily aware of the dangers of far-right politics. France ought to be uh, very much on that bus. Third time unlucky. Can I say that? I can say that. Third time unlucky. <laughs> yeah. Went 2012, 2017, 2022. But she was excited to get so close. She said that. She said, a great wind of freedom could have risen over the country. And I just think no one wanted to smell a gigantic racist fart. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think she should be pleased in a way because she keeps talking about how her party represents true French values, in which case she should be glad that Macron won liberty, egalité, fraternité, not sorority. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I, I also just as a sidebar, I like that throughout most of the world, world, the word liberty means freedom and hope. Whereas to a cockney, it means someone is taking the absolute piss. <laughs> <laughs> what an absolute liberty. Egalitate fraternity. Um, yeah. Just that was the first thing I pondered this morning, our, our grip on the word li liberty. <laughs> the great thing about the French presidency is we wait and we wait and we wait. And finally, once every five years, we get good looking people in a political vox pop. <laughs> I was watching that on BBC last night. Every single one of them was gorgeous. You know when they do one in Britain or Ireland, it's a man walking out of a bookies with meat. He's carrying meat. Nobody knows why he's carrying meat. It's a fella in a vest with pork. We don't know, does he live in the shop and only come out when he sees the camera? We don't know, but it's always a fella carrying a leg of pork. Now, the, ch the challenger in this, as we've all described her as Marine Le Pen and various other uh, puns and that, she's hardcore because her dad, Jean-Marie Le Pen, was expelled from the party. So she threw her own parent out of the institution that he embodied for years. There's a point at which Prince Charles is looking at this <laughs> going, hypothetically speaking, if one <laughs> were to do this, how would one go about doing this? It, the whole thing is, I was glued to the whole thing. But like some of her, some of her, uh, her policies, there was consternation about what would happen if she had won, right? And I saw a lot of the right-wing press in the UK in particular going, would, would Brussels know how to deal with her? And you go, yeah. How would they ever deal with this blonde populist who wants to take the country out of the <laughs> EU? It would be such a new challenge for them. I'll tell you what the prep would be. 
would be take the folder out, scribble off the name of Boris, write in the name of Marine, and continue on their way. <laughs> she she did say though. I think she backed away from Frexit uh, recently, and she just wanted to kind of stop cooperation. But the big one I thought was a bit weird was she wanted France out of the integrated command of NATO. So I mean, is this really? the best time to weaken NATO? <laughs> is this the optimum time, do we think? It feels it feels a little bit like the lion tamer deciding to put the chair down now as you hear Aslan approach his stomach grumbling and carrying a machine gun. It feels a little <laughs> bit like that. It feels like a Trojan politician running on a accepting all gifts no matter how unsolicited platform. You know what I mean? No, we're going to accept it. I know we didn't ask for it, but if it's at the gates, we are accepting it. That is my promise to you. There's a package outside for you. Excellent! It's a new novelty piñata I ordered. <laughs> Hooray! Uh, on the one hand, it ended up as a reasonably comfortable victory for Macron. 58.5% to 41.5%. Macron uh, swept a victory five years ago on a very powerful platform of being uh, an almost entirely blank canvas with no discernible values and, and policies. Essentially, he was voted in as a void, but has lost some of that appeal. Uh, because it's turned out he is actually a human and has been for the last five years. I mean, <laughs> sorry, Andy, nothing more French than voting in a void. That's the most existential yeah. way to yeah. vote, surely. How are you going to vote, Sartre? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I think there's a lot to be said for centrist voids taking power in all countries. But are on you the listening, other, Matt Hancock? On the, on the other hand, a far right party in France got almost forty-two percent of of the vote it's i mean it, it, it's not i mean in a way it's a, a relief but also a massively concerning one isn't it the the, the share of the of the le pen vote seems to be it's, going up it's a bit time. yeah it's a bit of a worry isn't it i mean you got to the point though when he it's he seemed he, he was kind of campaigning on ukraine and all the rest and then he got down and dirty in the last week with the chest hair pictures that went everywhere <laughs> and he went, this is going to take it out of the bag for me i'm going to get pictured in a crisp white shirt with four buttons undone and boy when that man commits he commits because he is a hairy individual he, it was like nipples on a brillo pad it was brilliant and every, there was a million think pieces and a million opinion pieces about will this make people vote for him and i think probably did some people think that having a hairy chest makes the person virile and strong and dominant i mean that's why thatcher won three elections i think <laughs> that's undoubted she had a very impressive chest man that's why she was called the iron lady that's what she had to use to keep it in check she was a serious individual in the end she should just keep them all the same length and just tie them in a little uh, string <laughs> Interesting uh, insight into that. Th Thatcher oh, by yeah. name, Andy. Thatcher <laughs> by name. You know, you, there's there's a certain responsibility with thatching anyway. I've got a sister that lives in the New Forest. It's very complicated. <laughs> um, <laughs> when you say the New Forest, that's a place. She hasn't let it overgrow. No, yeah, that's a place, yes. Okay. It's, <laughs> Old Holborn is not spilling out of the packet. So cut that. I mean, I just that's a, that's a phrase that... That me and my sister have bandied out for 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 a few years in a very comedic way, but I don't know that it should have made it onto this. Maybe it should. <laughs> at the old Holborn. Anyway, um, I <laughs> I think look, it was a lower turnout, wasn't it? Yeah, seventy two percent, the lowest uh, for a presidential runoff since nineteen sixty nine. But interestingly, that's the same percentage that turned out to vote in the Brexit referendum. And this is, you know, considered a very low turnout in a presidential runoff, which happens every, every five years. Uh, what did you say the percentage was? Seventy-two. 
72. You see, if that was a turnout for a fringe show for me, I'd consider that quite <laughs> quite yeah. positive. I think 70, 72% sales is break-even in Edinburgh, isn't it? <laughs> but also there were 3 million spoilt ballot papers and not spoilt like you spoil an overindulged child or dog because you love them so much. Spoiled <laughs> in, a, in a kind of fug of frustration at the choices uh, choice of... I mean, I, I, I spoil my ballot paper regularly. I, you know, I, I love democracy so much. I fold it into an origami flamingo, take it out for dinner and then float it down the Thames. But, um, <laughs> but it did just sort of highlight the... You know, that Macron has a number of bridges to uh, to build. He said, an answer must be found to the anger and disagreements that led many of our compatriots to vote for the extreme right. Um, uh, but, I mean, that, that's the problem. The, those 42% of the votes for uh, Le Pen were cast in favour of the answer to the, that anger and those disagreements being more anger and more disagreements. <laughs> so um, I don't know quite how you resolve that. We always hear politicians claiming they're going to heal and unite their countries. This happens more and more as more and more countries become unhealed and disunited. And there is a problem with this. We are living in the 21st century, and specifically in the 2020s. We live in a world of the internet and all the hostility that that engenders. It's quite hard to heal and unite something that when you offer to heal and unite it, generally responds, if you try to heal and unite me, I'll f***ing nut you in the chops. So this is... a <laughs> challenge politically across across it's like offering to cuddle a shark it's not language the shark understands and it is fraught with risk <laughs> ukraine news now and it's still f***ing shit uh, however uh one story has emerged that um made me think that well things could get considerably worse uh, returning <laughs> workers at chernobyl who've been trying to identify bacteria which is capable of consuming radioactive waste, fear that their work has been a mixture of stolen and destroyed by Russia. Now, my concern here is that this research exists at all because developing bacteria that can consume radioactive waste <laughs> is scene one in a catastrophic sci-fi movie. Um, <laughs> And the fact that this has been compromised uh, by the war, I don't, I, is this necessarily a bad news story? The workers returned to their laboratories on the 12th of April and found that doors and windows had been broken and most of their scientific equipment had been looted, damaged or destroyed. Now, bearing in mind the competence the Russian military has shown thus far in their special military operation, which is, of course, not very special, not exclusively military and considerably more than an operation, it is entirely possible that this was just the result of Russian soldiers trying to make a cup of tea in an omelette. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but I mean, this, I mean, clearly, I mean, scientifically, if you can get bacteria that eats radiation, presumably you can then develop one that eats all carbon emissions and we can just live the lives we want to live, pollute as much as possible and just release our special bacteria into the world to clear up our f***ing mess. I think this is absolutely extraordinary. We've been told by scientists for years, right? Scientists were saying this area is going to be a wasteland, the byproduct of fusion to be radioactive for 10,000 years. And then some other scientists went, have you tried Yakult? <laughs> little bit of yakult will sort that out there what what is it oh it's radioactive gas oh that's actimel for radioactive gas you know the ads mm, radon we all know them how does how does bleach kill 99 percent of bacteria but the remaining ones can eat uranium how does that work how 
How does that work? Well, it's like scissors, maybe it's like, you know, scissors, paper, stone. You know, just, uh, like, if, but if this works, right, this is world-altering. This is geoengineering. I think we have raised the bar for what could be termed good bacteria. Do you know when you see an ad and they go, it contains good bacteria, essential for your gut health. Sorry, unless bifidus digestium can eat uranium, I'm not interested. <laughs> that amoeba over there has opened the door to limitless energy, and your one means I haven't shot myself in a week. <laughs> It's at best an okay bacteria. <laughs> it is not good bacteria. I, I think your your worry is a significant one because I mean it is this this. Is, I mean I know the scientists are pro- probably know what they're doing messing around with bacteria and radioactivity. But Bruce Banner thought that as well, didn't he? And <laughs> have we have we guarded against getting an incredible Hulk bacteria? Do we really want like the supercharged? Botox toxin to be released into the wild, destroying wrinkles at an uncontrollable rate. You're walking around your local area. Do you see that greyhound? Yeah, used to be a bulldog. <laughs> we don't want it. We don't want it getting into a spider and then it biting someone, and then we're all exactly. jizzing out of our wrists. Well, yes, uh, I mean that's one way of putting it. I, 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 the, <laughs> you've obviously that's got what Spider Man does. He yes. jizzes out of his wrists. Yeah, I mean that's, that's one version of the of the, the original. Yeah, I would say that's more of a graphic novel than yeah. one of the original comics. But I, for one, would read it. Um, Andy, I think you're taking a, a negative slant yeah. on this. I actually think this could be could be positive, right? They could have looted Chernobyl, taken away a strain of microbes. It could be an inside plot. Maybe soldiers took them, hoping they're the type of microbe that thrives on vainglorious dictators. Like, because that's the only way we think Putin can really be stopped from someone with it, like someone within. It could be it could be a microbe that takes him out because it's not going to be on the battlefield, is it? Yeah. So this is probably the way Putin's going to go. Like, and we don't talk enough, I think, about how everyday things drop huge historical figures. Right. For example, like why Earp didn't die from a gunshot at the OK Corral. He died from a UTI. No way. Like, yes, they he had cystitis. Like Jesus they didn't. was tetanus. <laughs> Jesus. He had cystitis. That's what Wyatt Earp died from. Like, and they don't show him drinking cranberry juice in Tombstone. So we all know, like, he could have prevented it. Uh, <laughs> Oliver Cromwell is believed to have caught salmonella. Like, so we didn't know he'd been Good. smashing his smashing his way through undercooked chicken and bad eggs. Florence Nightingale was believed to have died from um, bacterial infection, brucellosis. Uh, then known as Crimean fever, quite apt. Uh, but Too I'm just soon. saying that <laughs> this this little microbe could be delivered to Putin, give him fatal thrush, and he'll be smearing his penis with yogurt until eventually he perishes. All the more cultured for it. <laughs> I say I say this is a positive thing. This could be a positive. Well, I see that. Yeah. I mean, clearly, generally, you know, experimenting <laughs> on things that can eat the seemingly inedible. That's generally been done purely on humans rather than on bacteria as evidenced by the inventions of insert your chosen objectively revolting but secretly enjoyable tasty food stuff here uh the researcher uh, elena periniuk in this article on the the new scientist uh website said i still have a hope that my samples are in their fridge we were trying to cultivate the specific microorganism that might eat lava concrete and steel constructions now i sense a new charity <laughs> fundraising diet coming on here to raise money for Ukraine. I will eat only lava, concrete, and steel for the rest of this year. Well, all, all, every Welsh person's going, well, we eat lava bread, so toughen up. <laughs> yeah, quite possible. 
I, um, you know what I can smell? I can smell, I can smell a very, very impressive Bush Tucker trial on I'm a Celebrity. <laughs> <Get out of laughs> <here. laughs> Another research said all our hard disks have been stolen. I mean, hard, hard disks, that's not a phrase you hear very often. Anyway, put it in the cloud next time you're researching something that could save humanity. A hard disk is always preferable to a floppy one, though, Andy. Um, a As a show. woman. Family show, <laughs> In other Russia-Ukraine news, Wimbledon, the renowned tennis tournament and epitome of Englishness, has uh, stepped into uh, the breach and announced that all Russian and Belarusian players will be banned from this year's championships, uh, due partly to having long and complicated names that don't easily fit on many of the scoreboards on the outside courts, but also because their countries have now achieved gold-level elite membership status of the International Pariah Nations Club. But is this the right thing to do, to sanction individuals in an individual sport in which they're not really representing their country? It's been quite controversial. There's been both support and criticism uh, of uh, the policy. I mean, I think maybe it would have been better to just ban players who display Putin-y characteristics on the court. <laughs> oh, well, that volley's gone long, played with heavy hands there by Nadal, and heavy-handedness is Vladimir Putin's <laughs> stock in trade, so the Spaniard has been instantly disqualified and heavily sanctioned. Um, or should we just ban all men because Putin is a man? Just cancel the men's singles championship. Uh, or at least all cancel single men. <laughs> at least all men with disconcertingly piercing eyes, which is bad news for Djokovic, I guess. I mean, it's it's very, it, it, it's not, it's not. I'm not sure there's a right or wrong answer to this as a as, as a sports fan. I mean, it's, some players have expressed pro peace messages. It's quite hard for them to be overtly anti-Putin because presumably they also have families they would quite like to ever see again. But at the same time, you know, ba- sporting boycotts and bans can be. Uh, quite effective. So, well, what what do you what, what do you reckon? Are you uh... Uh, Wimble don't like the Russians. <laughs> More like Andy. The headlines w- would write themselves if you were not there to write them for them. <laughs> but, uh... This is a tough one, isn't it? I think um, I've been to Wimbledon. I didn't realise that until I went to Wimbledon that the stewards are in the armed forces. I never realised that until I was actually there. So, I think. If you want to do something that really annoys Putin or you can have a bit of crack with him, I think they should use that. I think they should wait until a very pro-Putin player is in the middle of a match and all of the stewards from the armed forces get a phone call at the same time. <laughs> and they're all like, what? Not now? But I thought NATO was staying out of it. Oh, okay, no, no. We'll, okay, okay. No, no. We'll, we'll, after Ukraine. What? Not Ukraine. Oh, no, you're right. He has been asking for it. He has been asking for it. And then just slowly file out of the stadium and, and just see if they can undermine Putin that way by scaring the shit and implying that there's an imminent invasion. And that would be a big invasion if they required the people who are stewarding out Wimbledon <laughs> to make up the bulk of the force. <laughs> Maybe the line judges will be next. The other options, I guess, rather than an outright ban, would be to have sort of on-court sanctions that disadvantage Russian and Belarusian players, maybe reducing them to only one serve each, so, uh, so not allowed a second serve. Maybe an adjustable net. That would be another option. A net that goes up when the Russian player is about to hit the ball, but then down when the non-Russian player is about to hit the ball, so just to make it you know a bit, a bit easier. Um, to have rackets that make silly squeaky noises whenever the ball is hit. Anything to discredit the Putin regime and uh, Lukashenko, Putin's Belarusian emotional support despot. Another option <laughs> is to... Um, to de- Allowed to be taken on the plane with him. <laughs> yeah. To be sat to, uh, on his lap. 
it's a, it's a I've got a certificate for him. I have a certificate for him. They, they, so they're cu- currently, in, in most of the tournaments, the players are still allowed to play, but without uh, reference to their um, their nationality, without using their, their country's flag at any point, which you'd think, again, isn't really necessary in individual sport anyway. But uh, the next step, I think, will be to de-russify players' names whilst this war is ongoing. So, for example, the world number 45... Ekaterina Alexandrova would have to play in the name Kathy Alexander. Fairly simple. Andrei Rublev, the Russian world number eight. Andy Rubble. Um, Irina Sabalenka, the Belarusian world number four. Irene Sabalthwaite. I think yeah, everyone, the, the Yorkshire fans would get behind that. Aslan Karatsev, the world number 33 from Russia, could be known as fictional Jesus metaphor lion Carrots. Uh, and uh, Dmitry Medvedev, the world number two, uh, either Bunty Splodgings or Tennis McTennis Face. Um, I think either of those would do. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'd laugh at the this idea of the anglicisation of names, but if it hadn't been done to my country over many <laughs> hundreds of years, that was just a bit too close to the bone well, there, uh, Andy. A bit too what, close to the bone. Why change a winning formula? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, winning is carrying a lot of. <laughs> Got to weigh in that argument as well. She Tiff's already mentioned Cromwell. <laughs> I think it wasn't. It, it's his birthday today, isn't it? Cromwell, when I was just checking up my anniversaries, I think it... Oh, Christ. <laughs> Happy Cromwell Day, Neil. Ah, <laughs> oh, thanks a million. Yeah, 15th of, uh, 25th of April, 1599. Happy birthday to the murderous fucking <laughs> May he forever be eating undercooked chicken. Uh, one of the other concerns at Wimbledon would, would be the uh, awkwardness of uh, Kate Middleton, the uh, the wife of Prince William, the Duchess of Cambridge, who presents the trophies at the end, having to present the trophy to a Russian or Belarusian player and the you know political implications of that and the suggestion that this could represent a propaganda coup for Putin. But I think this could be used in a positive way, that if there is a Russian or Belarusian winner, which is entirely possible, a number of players in the top ranks of both the men's and the women's games, if, if Gabriel just stands there with the trophy saying, you can't have it, you can't have it until you tell Putin he's a <laughs> Until you tell Putin he's a <laughs> Sue, come over here with your microphone, say it. Look down the camera and call him a <laughs> and then you can have your little trinket. Uh, other people are also banned from this year's when will include people who are shit at tennis and... <laughs> um, I really hope that's in the charter of the All England Lawn Tennis Championship. Just <laughs> Article 1, <laughs> Clause 1. Are you shit at tennis? <laughs> Ireland news now, and, well, huge ructions, Neil, at Dublin Airport um, after it received 12,272 complaints last year about noise and yes. i've not yeah th- th- there's a key part of this story that i've not got to yet will you just just fill us in on exactly so, why those 12,272 complaints are particularly relevant very important they got roughly 13,000 complaints last year about noise and 12,272 of those were from one person <laughs> Which is absolutely fantastic. I think the most prevalent sound in Dublin Airport was the sound of your man ringing Dublin Airport. (laughs) I think it was just ring, 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 ring. Hello, Dublin Airport. I am calling because I can hear a ringing sound. Okay, it's actually stopped now. But if it starts again, I will be back. (laughs) It's 34 a day. What I love about this is the boundless optimism of it. I mean, I'd stop after a couple of thousand calls, I think. But this dude, and it is a dude. 
dude. Yeah, it has to be. We don't know, but it, it's a dude. Isn't it? He's sitting there going, 5,001, this is the one I'm going to make count. This is the one, 5,001, this is the one I'm going to get my point across. And if that doesn't work, I'm going for 5,002. Like, does his number come up in the ring? That's what I want to know. And the lads in the airport are like, oh, Christ, it's Tony. Don't, a- <laughs> don't answer this. We'll, we'll, we'll say we can't hear the phone. <laughs> He'll love that. And then he just rings up. It's up to 59... Um, it's up to 59 yes. calls, I think, a day now. He's cranked it up. Because, I, I mean, you, you say it's 34 a day. But that's assuming... That was that last he wor- year. That, that he, well, that's assuming that he worked 365 working days <laughs> in the year. I mean, I, I've assumed that, you know, he has Statutory a standard... holiday. Well, exactly. Standard eight-hour working day with four weeks annual leave. That works out, at, in fact, 51 per day, 6.4 per working hour. That's one complaint per nine minutes and 23 seconds. Um, and uh, in 2020... Uh, 6,200 complaints from the same person. So that's, he was 97% better year on year in terms of number of complaints. And this year, 5,000 in the first three months. He's on course for a 20,000 complaints about noise at Dublin Airport year. He is setting standards. I don't think anyone in the future is going to be able to meet. But also, I mean, a bit bit more context than this. I mean, he's very much the Usain Bolt of complaining about noise at. uh, the, 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 Don, the, the Don Bradman of <laughs> Dublin Airport complaints, but more so. He's like Bradman multiplied by Bolt. However, <laughs> just to put it in context, Neil, yeah. there are 91,000 flights taking off or landing from Dublin Airport every year. <laughs> so this person actually only complained about one out of every seven and a half flights that took off or landed, I mean, yeah, which does yeah. suggest that like some are not- okay. He's not being unreasonable. I mean, he's no, not he's not ringing not. up about every flight. I mean, he's not a madman. I mean, it's only the flights at, at one every seven and a half flights that really ticks him off enough to ring Dublin Airport and see if they'll change their ways, despite the fact that he's already rung them 12,271 times already. Like, if you answered the phone to him, how would you not take the piss with that? How would you not go, yeah, have you thought about moving from under the flight path? Or what? You cannot afford it. Why can't you afford it? Oh, your phone bill is 45 grand a year. <laughs> Can you see how these things might be interlinked? I do wonder, are all these complaints different, though? Because if they are, then this might be one of the greatest performances of human creativity. If he's coming up with over 10,000 different, differently worded complaints about airplane noise... This might be one of the great linguistic achievements we've ever seen. Well, I'd say they're probably different now, but as you say, as the numbers pump up, if he wants to keep achieving what can only be described as capitalist growth, I think he's just going to have to shorten them. So <laughs> if he wants the big numbers, he's just going to have to go loud, loud, bang, bang, loud. <laughs> <laughs> he's just going <laughs> to... Because look, I mean, I've done over 500 episodes of The Bugle, and they'll be on it. I'll be honest. And I'd like to are... complain about all of them. Well, there are, <laughs> there are times when I find it hard to find... New words, as I'm sure my co-host this week, John and John, would would testify. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but that, that wasn't a mistake as much as a wish for Halcyon days. <laughs> I mean, do we think he, that, that that we often see, like you know, with Federer in tennis, it inspired greater play from Nadal and, and Djokovic uh, and, and other players? Do yeah. we think that this this heroic man heading? towards his 25,000th complaint of the decade, which is not even a quarter of the way through. Is he going to set standards that other complainers are going to try to meet? Yes, this is a level of pettiness we should all aspire to. 
This smacks of someone who moved under a flight path so he'd have something to get angry about daily. I think this person is retired and the anger is fuel. Because when you retire, you need... The older you get, the more you care about smaller stuff, right? My parents can lose a day and a half if someone's parked badly on their street. <laughs> so, like, uh, we once talked for 45 minutes at dinner about how a neighbour mowing the lawn dampened my dad's enjoyment of the cricket. And it yeah. took him a full <laughs> summer to get over it. So I'm sure you can relate to this, Andy. Yeah, um, But it gives you something to do with the day. Get annoyed. And most of these complaints were lodged... Um, at night, apparently. So I sort of get it. It makes me more convinced the person is at least middle-aged because I know in my 20s, right, I could sleep anywhere at any time. And and now, in my 40s, I need a memory foam pillar, orthopedic mattress, electric blanket, eye mask, <laughs> complete darkness, pillow spray, white noise machine, sleep swaps, cotton pyjamas, silk pillowcase, earplugs, and three caps of night nurse. Thank you very much. <laughs> I wonder why you brought, brought all that stuff when you came to see me do a gig. Um, I think... Um, but I, I think, you know, noise pollution at night is a real thing. And you just, you need to ask Scottish boyfriend now, Scottish fiance, because um, he said I snore and occasionally it sounds like a plane taking off. So, and more than, more often than not, it's quote unquote, um, get ready with the bleeps here. Uh, some <laughs> treading on bagpipes is what it sounds like. So, so maybe, maybe this is not planes at all. Maybe this person lives with someone who snores. It's also possible he could actually be onto something. He, he might seem like a lone voice now. But perhaps in 20 years' time, we'll remember him as the man who began to expose the scandal of how the Irish government used the noise of aeroplanes to cover up the sound of stray cats and dogs being inflated like balloons and then whizzed across the Irish Sea to Wales. (laughs) Britain news now, and Boris Johnson uh, remains Prime Minister, uh, bafflingly. But the Conservative (laughs) Party are still, um, still, uh, seem to be slowly turning. Uh, against him um, uh, th- he still has his defenders Jacob Rees-Mogg um, much discussed on this show um, uh, and this this was a heartbreaking moment for me he compared Johnson's party infractions and the uh, the fixed penalty notice he received from the police the first Prime Minister to receive uh, uh, essentially a criminal punishment uh, in office as being like the DRS system in cricket that's the TV umpire system in cricket, um, and Rhys Mogg said sometimes the batsman in good faith thinks he's not at LBW. It goes to the third umpire who says it's out, and then the batsman accepts the decision. It's exactly what's happened to the Prime Minister. Now, there's a number of things uh, that, are, <laughs> that, that upset me about this. One is I love cricket, and I do not love Jacob Rhys Mogg, and I don't <laughs> want to hear him talking about cricket. It made me love the game less. Uh, and also, it's totally inappropriate because essentially the situation with Johnson is he's made up a new rule uh, for example he's made up a new rule that you can't wear say pads made out of puppies and then he's gone to the wicket with 14 baby Labradors strapped to each of his legs <laughs> and then said oh I'm sorry I had literally no idea that, that was even a law and also the umpires looked at hundreds and hundreds of pages of evidence and photographs and come to that decision so uh, it was a, a deeply distressing week for me to be honest um, well, I, I actually I actually wanted to bring in a friend of mine who's much more an expert on Boris Johnson, um, Henrietta Mouthpiece. Henrietta Mouthpiece here, housewife, mother, erstwhile columnist, fifth in line to the seat of Derbyshire, an opinion maker. <laughs> hello, hello to the bugle. You are welcome for having me. Listen, I want to talk very briefly about the pause. Um, firstly, I've seen a lot of the poor complaining it's hard to get healthy food cheaply. And I just want to say, hogwash, darlings, uh, pick some apples from your own orchard. No scrumping, you little d- 
Then take some fresh eggs from your chickens, named after the Mitford sisters, of course, Nancy, Decker, Debs, and the one that loved Hitler. Combine with some flour, water, and screaming at your maid. Voila! You have an apple pie. It's easy unless you are a complete idiot. Get to it, single mothers. Also, if you're struggling when it comes to energy, just let your nanny pick up the slack. Cost of living crisis, my derriere. Do you know how expensive it is to hire from Poland? I offered to take a Ukrainian governess, but I was told no go. <laughs> anyway, also on the pause, let's get to it and their obsession with parties. It's high time they let this nonsense at number 10 go. I mean, I understand they didn't have fancy wines like Bosom would have. Did I feel bad for them during lockdown in their council flats, drinking antibacterial gel cocktails and, and watching Joe Wick's videos? Yes, but why should people like myself and dear Bozza suffer? If we elites don't have parties, how are we supposed to breed with our cousins? It's almost like you don't care about bloodlines. Why don't we focus on the real issue at hand? Working class labour women flashing their Dispatch boxes in the House of Commons. Those poor Conservative MPs, where were they supposed to look? Look, we know posh men love a bit of rough. I myself have had to turn a blind eye to the hubster's 16-year clandestine affair with our children's wet nurse. It's outrageous showing up at a place of work with your legs and weaponising them. Let's focus on Keir Starmer failing to personally bounty hunt Jimmy Savile. What is the point of that man if he cannot retrospectively travel back in time and prevent all of those crimes from happening? Let's focus on <laughs> Boris's flaxen mane. A man to repopulate our diminishing island, which is also too full for immigrants. Let's focus on the man who gave us great war slogans such as rule of six, keep calm and distance, hands face space, and may they be printed on tea towels and mugs forever. Make Britain elite again. Well, sir, uh, thank you for bringing a, 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 a political perspective that is sometimes underrepresented on the bugle. I can only apologise for, for Henrietta. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's bugle. Um, sadly, due to time constraints, we've not able, been able to report on uh, a sensational geese in China story or in other bird news world sport being rocked to its foundations by perhaps the most <laughs> disturbing pitch invasion in human history <laughs> a, a, a pigeon landing on the table at the world snooker championships in sheffield we may report on the snooker pigeon in next week's <laughs> snooker pigeon originally jimmy white's nickname of course <laughs> amazing coup power um uh, that's <laughs> the end of this week's bugle uh, 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 we will be I back i need a shower now <laughs> We I will need be an back. actual shower. Oh. We will be back uh, next week. Um, don't forget to buy your tickets to Satirist for Hire at the Soho Theatre on the 9th, 10th, 13th, 14th, 16th, 17th, 20th and 21st of May. And please submit your satirical requests in as much advance as possible to satirise this at satiristforhire.com. Uh, do either of you have things to plug? Um, I'll plug my uh, Edinburgh. I'll be doing my new show, Sexy Brain, at the Pleasance uh, at 8pm for the whole month. And there'll be a preview in London on the 26th. I think there's one up in Leeds at some point in July. But if you follow me on Twitter, you can get all the information uh, at Tiff Stevenson. I am doing Edinburgh as well, uh, the Assembly Rooms. And I have a new podcast on Wednesday called Why Would You Tell Me That? So you can follow that. Uh, don't forget, you can also listen to The Bugle's sister publication, 
the glossy magazine to our uh, Sunday spreadsheet. Spreadsheet? What's that? <laughs> the, uh, the, the, uh, You've gone in full statistician. I have come. Gear it up for the summer. Um, the glossy magazine to the Bugle's ruthlessly music broadsheet. Um, download that from all available podcast outlets hosted by Alice Fraser with comedians from all over the known universe uh, we will now play you out with some lies about our premium level voluntary subscribers don't forget the lie offer is shortly to come to an end if you want to have a lie told about you we, we are getting through the backlog of subscribers so if you've already subscribed and not had a lie told about you it will be coming but we are going to close the lie offer when should we say Chris end of the month yeah Yep, and replace it with a, a new, uh, a new uh, something extra for our uh, premium Sex level voluntary subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> no, Chris, not that kind of show. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> you're not, you're not on commercial radio now, mate. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Andy doing a sex line would be, and then he stroked the ball <laughs> to the boundary. Good God, yeah. It didn't um, even bounce. Six. <laughs> it's a six line. It's a six line. Can we not have Agony Andy where people send in their problems and Andy solves them with uh, yeah. protracted sports-based metaphors? That sounds like uh, absolute ratings winner. Um, <laughs> I Honestly, I'm already coming up with a couple of scenarios that I think would be so fun to listen to. I know a man who's going to ring you 12,000 times this year. <laughs> Anyway, here are our lies about our premium level voluntary subscribers. To join them, uh, or to give a one-off or recurring contribution to keep the Bugle free, flourishing and independent, go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the donate button. Goodbye. Ben S. spends much of his time thinking about the future of transport and has come to the conclusion that for a more sustainable future, all current forms of transport should be replaced with a mixture of zip lines and zorbing balls. Quite apart from reclaiming the letter Z, says Ben S, gravity has proved a worthy foe for humanity over the years, and since it shows no sign of leaving, we might as well try to get on side with it and harness it. All we need to do is find a way of reversing it for the uphill bits, and we're right in business. Brian Krisky, and apologies for any mispronunciation, thinks that international travel would be far better for everyone if no one knew where their aeroplane was going to land when it took off and were then deposited at a randomly chosen destination for their holiday and or business trip. Travel opens the mind, says Brian, and it would open it even more if you had to riff your holiday wherever you landed. Brian does acknowledge it would make packing the right clothing somewhat problematic, but adds, I don't see anything intrinsically wrong with going round the Sistine Chapel in full scuba diving gear. Bill Haddad is on board with Brian's idea, specifically for business travel. It could open up previously unthought-of business partnerships around the world, says Bill, and it would foster the kind of necessity-driven, play-it-as-you-see-it innovation that has driven almost all human advances down the years, from the wheel to sliced bread to the nuclear bomb and the pogo stick. And if you're not happy about that as a business person, concludes Bill, have your meeting online and save a polar bear whilst you're at it, you freeloading chancer. Brett Pinaski is baffled by the continued inability of humans to domesticate the dolphin for travel purposes, as was so successfully achieved on land with the horse. Dolphins are intelligent creatures, notes Brett. We should easily be able to negotiate a deal with them, as we did with the horses, that is mutually agreeable to both parties. We might have to put a lot of fish on the table during the negotiation, says Brett, but I think it could work, and it would also be a lot of fun. By which I mean, I've always dreamed of riding a dolphin. Here endeth this week's lies. Goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. 
In this series, we discuss Lime Bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.